podcast has bad words. <laughs> the Minimalist Private Podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> 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 Oh. Hello, Simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about mm. blowing up relationships. Mm. Ryan, it's over. Oh, <laughs> you know, I like you so much. I would support you. <laughs> uh, yes, when I was talking to, to Bex about this on on her podcast called How to Love, and um, yeah, have you guys figured it out yet? How to love? Yeah, we're ninety percent of the way there. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, it has been an exploration in truly understanding love, and it's so it's illuminating because many of the things I always thought were love were, were something else, mm-hmm. like admiration, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And so, not to say, well, if it's not love, it's a bad thing. No, no, no. no. But I, I was confusing. I was conflating better word i was conflating love with all of these other things like attachment or clinging or just appreciation caring mm-hmm. and, and and so what i really realized recently is um man i would be so supportive if bex were to say hey i i would i find more value in being in some other relationship yeah and, I, yeah. and you and i've had similar conversations about that with respect to you and, and your wife totally and and so I think sometimes blowing up a relationship, this is why I'm using that vernacular because people in the minimal episode earlier this week, they, they use that vernacular. Mm, because I think yeah. sometimes we, we think by, in a binary way. I need to just blow up the relationship. Yeah. Well, what might be more empowering? I need to uh, heal the relationship. Yeah. Or maybe I just need to walk away from the relationship. Yeah. But those are hard things to do. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be. Give di- me the easy answer. Don't give me the correct answer. <laughs> Plus, Denzel Washington looks so cool when he blows up something and just walks away from it slowly. Here, here Josh, hold this bomb. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, what is this ticking box? <laughs> anyway. anyway, no, you're absolutely right, though, man. I mean, when it, yeah, when it comes to Mariah, I, actually, when I I have come to a place with my father where like I really I really do love him he's my dad and in a weird way it's like he, he feels like he can live a happier more meaningful life without having a relationship with me and a piece of me has gotten to a point where I'm like you know what if that's what it takes for him to be happy then I will totally support him on that right I don't necessarily agree with it but it doesn't matter what I agree with yes what matters is what is and, and how he feels but yeah the same Ooh. thing the same thing with Mariah. I mean, yeah, I mean, if she all of a sudden found someone who like, you know, um, I was going to say completed her, but we've talked about how people don't complete other people. But, you know, she found someone who, you know, was a much better fit for her and a better relationship and yes. um, yeah, then and didn't leave their, their dirty dishes on the counter, then <laughs> I would totally support her. I really would. Yeah. And it doesn't, but when people hear that, they're like, well, how is that possible? It's not that you wouldn't feel sorrow. Right. You would certainly grieve the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not about, well, I'm a automaton and I'm, I'm just, well, I'm fine now. Beep, bop, boop. And, and, it, and I've walked away from the relationship now and now she's happy. No, I'm going to feel sad. Yeah. I'm going to grieve that. But joy, real joy, not pleasure, not ephemeral happiness, but mm. real joy makes room for those other emotions. Yeah. We talk about that in Love People Use Things. There's a section called the well-being continuum. And it really talks about how we accidentally conflate pleasure with these higher forms of well-being. Mm. We think 
the pleasure is somehow going to bring us bliss or it's going to bring us tranquility. It's going to bring us contentment. Mm. But it usually brings us chaos, which actually gets in the way of those things. Yeah. Joy, on the other hand, joy when it comes to another person, also makes room for the sorrow, for the grieving. Mm. It makes room for misunderstandings until we do understand. Yeah. It makes room for the difficulties of interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean that, oh, yes, of course I would be happy for her. That doesn't mean that I'm always going to be perpetually happy. I will experience joy, and I'll also experience the entire litany, mm. the labyrinth of other emotions that I'm going to have to sort through. Yeah, And, and so there's no question about that. I mean, think about the other side of the coin where, let's say Mariah came to me and she's like, sorry, like I met this, you know, wonderful guy, blah, 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 blah. Or gal. Or gal, yes. Uh, <clears throat> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know. Like, Volvo? Like, what, what, what do you right, mean, whatever? Exactly. Yeah, Volvo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Ryan, I'm in a relationship with this Volvo. You- <laughs> <laughs> that would support it. No, I mean, you know, the other side of the coin is me clinging. Yeah, and it's me getting mad and upset and jealous yes. and pissed off and hurt and misunderstood and just allowing all those emotions to take over, which, by the way, would create a worse relationship. Yes, um, but how selfish of it for me to try and talk her out of living a more meaningful, happy life. Yeah, and yeah. And, and so I'm going to make you miserable so I can be happy is actually yeah. not going to make you happy in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and that's like a fake. It's a fake happy anyway, right? Like, That's right. It's not even real happy. No. Mm. And so we got a lot of surprise questions that Emma, the immigrant, put together for us this week. Before we get into that, let's do our more about less segment where we read a little something as a jump off point for discussion. Yeah. What do we got today? Our good friend Joshua Becker Ooh. from Becoming Minimalist. He uh, he was one of the original people who inspired us to, yeah. to dive into minimalism. Still a good friend of ours. Amazing. And yeah. Amazing human being. You probably saw him in our first documentary, Minimalism or you are familiar with his YouTube videos or his website. And his, this is from his newsletter here. It's called Nine Ways to Avoid Spending on Fads. Mm. And I thought we would just talk about these and, and read a few. I found it pretty eye-opening here. So I'm just going to start from the, the top. We'll also put a link to this in the show notes. Consumer fads and trends come and go. This will never change. What can, what can change is how we interact with them. A fad, as defined by industry, is, quote, a style, activity, or interest that is very popular for a short period of time. Think fidget spinners, rainbow looms, beanie babies, or those women's shirts with the shoulders cut out. Mm, I could totally rock one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the scissors, Emma. <laughs> A trend, on the other hand, is a general development or change in a situation or in the way that people are behaving. Trends are not inherently negative. They may be positive or negative. They just last longer than fads. Mm. Americans deciding to eat healthier could be considered a trend. Likewise, so is the increase in energy drink consumption. Interesting. So often we confuse, I certainly am guilty of this, confusing uh, fad with trendy. Right. And yeah, I've never looked at it that way. That's a, it's a really great observation. Trends last a little bit longer. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like you look at people, um, like Archie Bunker, for example. Okay. Look at a picture of him from that very first pilot episode. Uh-huh. He was in his thirties, uh-huh. but he looks like he's in his fifties. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just one of many examples of 
how, for some reason, and I think it has to do with diet and exercise and awareness. Yes. Um, like, look at you, man. You look like you're 16. You still get carded <laughs> when you <laughs> when you go to a rated R movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's funny, man, because I, I think we use these things interchangeably, and that's not a bad thing. But what what Josh Becker is getting to here is is trying to really parse out the difference so we can better understand how we're being sold fads, we're being sold yeah. trends. Mm. And so let's talk about some of these. I'm not going to read the whole article, but let's go through some of these nine here. Nine ways to avoid spending on fads. Number one, I thought this was the most eye-opening. Know who starts them. Now, I knew about this, but he put a link in, in here, and um, I think most people don't actually know about this. He said, I remember exactly where I was sitting when I first discovered the Pantone Fashion Color Trend Report a report dedicated entirely to telling us what colors of clothing we need to be buying for the next season. Oh, wow. I thought he was going to say Matt Carney. <laughs> he always seems to be ahead of it. Oh, yeah. 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 So Matt Carney, who is has been on the Patreon version of the podcast mm-hmm. before, he... Whenever we would go see him a concert, I would see him. He's like six months ahead of everyone. Yeah. And he he kind of looks insane. You're like, what is he wearing? What, what is he doing? Yeah. Yeah. Skinny jeans. Who would ever wear skinny? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And then six months later, you're like, oh, my God. Everyone's wearing it, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, Matt, he subscribes to the Pantone color report. Mm, maybe. Anyway, a report created by the fashion industry designed to convince us to buy more and different clothes every season than all the clothing already hanging in our closet. So this report is basically saying, hey, how do we get people to consume more? I know mm. we'll create, we'll manufacture a trend. Wow. And that's one way to do it. I mean, I think the I think the Gen Z equivalent of that is basically Kanye West. Anything that he creates has it, it, then... It, a year, two years later, you can see like Walmart knockoffs of the easy sl- slippers and mm, stuff. And yeah. so there are certain people who are just ahead of the curve and what they do, they become tastemakers and they create a trend inadvertently, yeah. right? And then there's someone else or a industry report that is manufacturing a fad to get it's designed to get you to remove money from your wallet to buy these new things, and it makes you feel what? Oh, the things I own right now, especially the clothes I own right now, mm. are inadequate. Mm. And therefore, if the things I own are in- inadequate, who's inadequate? I am. Yeah. That's why we're black t-shirts, man. They're timeless. They yes. always fit in. I, I switched brands recently. Oh, what brand do you have? I'm using uh, Los Angeles Apparel right now. I don't recommend them. Um, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say. Yeah, well, here's the thing. We're on Patreon, so I'm happy to sure. talk about it. People DM me once uh, a week, at least, usually several times a week, what what brand. I'm sure you get the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. What, what, they ask about my... Either people love the sweatpants or they hate them. Uh-huh. But the ones who love them, they're like, they message me, where'd you get those pants? Right. Yeah. Or they message you and tell you they hate your shoes, like it's helpful in any way. Right. Or they love your shoes and they ask. But here, here's here's the thing about the shirts. Like The reason I, I switched it to Los Angeles Apparel is, well, 93% of American garment workers work in sweatshop-like conditions. Mm. And... Los Angeles apparel. So even if you like, oh, it's made in America, it must be better than made in Bangladesh, right? Yeah, but maybe not. Maybe it's better, but like 
how much better, right? If and so yeah. we know that mm. the people here in Los Angeles at Los Angeles Apparel, even though it was started by a relatively controversial fi- figure, yeah. Dove Charney is is not known for being um, altruistic, <laughs> right? But in a weird way, it's not that we put him on a pedestal. He's he's just recognized like, hey. One of the things I can do that sets me apart is we pay our employees really fairly for the job they do. It's made here locally in non-sweatshop-like conditions. Yeah. Okay? It's made in a normal factory, garment factory, that isn't pushing people to their breaking point. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was really important. And so that doesn't mean, though, that these shirts are going to work for you. And so it's not that I'm recommending it. People always ask, where where do you get it? I'd go to losangelesapparel.net, mm. and that's where I buy my, my shirts. Does he have the .net? Yeah, I think oh, someone stole is, the .com. Yeah, but .net is so cool now. I, I don't know, know right? why I love We should change our website to the minimalists.net. Well, we do own the .net, so don't try <laughs> and steal it, anyone. That's right. That's yeah, right. and so, yeah, you can visit the minimalists.net. Mm. <laughs> and it'll bring you to the minimalist.com. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, shoot. But, but you know, it's, well, I used to wear American Apparel, which is what Los Angeles Apparel is. Sort of, yeah. Much, so right? D- Dove was sort of forced out of American Apparel, right? And then he started his own brand that is not technically associated, but they're very similar. Yeah, but I mean, a long story short, like those fit me the best, but they still they still didn't fit right, right? And that's just you know, with any brand, like you may look good in one thing, doesn't mean I'm going to look good in it. That's right. And yeah. in fact, even this brand, I, I I size up a size, so I usually mm-hmm. wear a medium. I wear a large in this because. And also, that's part of the whole the, the the current trend right now is people are wearing clothes that are slightly larger mm. right now. And so that what I like about that particular trend is it's I don't think it looks as good, but it's far more comfortable to wear a shirt that is slightly too large for me. Mm. And now that it's in vogue, I'm like, oh, this is this is great. I'm replacing my shirts anyway. I'm going to go ahead and buy the large instead of the mediums because I. Not because of the way it looks, because I actually like the way the mediums look better, mm. but I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of that for the comfort. Dude, I used to like get stuck with, uh, like my buddy would always tell me, he's like, dude, your clothes are just like a little bit too tight. And it's because instead of buying the XL, I'd be like, no, I'm an L. I can do an L. Like, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then I just end up looking ridiculous in it. But, uh, but yeah, my stuff is uh, son of a tailor. And it's it's just like it's it's custom to me, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's honestly what fits the best. I don't know what size I am now. I don't want to think about it, but uh, but yeah, I usually <laughs> got caught up in wearing clothes that were too small. <laughs> You're uh, in for Nicodemus. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, number two here on this list is recount where you first heard about the fad. One helpful way to avoid wasting money on fads is to trace back where you first heard about the new style, trend, or fad. Did you see it on your local news, read about it on a pop culture website, notice it on TikTok, or see it on the front shelves at Target? I don't I don't really see Target as being a, a tastemaker anywhere. Um, and in fact, that's probably a safe bet uh, if you want to buy things that aren't trendy. Yeah. It, a, former trends or you're going to go to a place like target right yeah if you if you want to go by there's this new documentary about fairfax which is right down the street from here i haven't seen it yet it's on amazon Mm. i'm looking forward to seeing i think it's just called fairfax or or fairfax boulevard whatever avenue whatever it is Mm. anyway that's where all the cool kids shop for their clothes now melrose and 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 fairfax sneaker shops and yeah yeah yeah. and and so and in fact uh, right in this neighborhood we were recording an episode of, of How to Love this weekend. And we, Bex and I were, we drove into the studio and instead of walking, but there was this pop up shop for the weekend only called Hype Land. You heard of this? Any of y'all? 
No, it was happening right. It was yeah, you saw it right. It was a, a line around the blocks. So it was going down La Cienega, down Holloway. I mean, it must have been half a mile long line. Wow! And so people are waiting hours and hours to become part of a trend to mm. be in. Remember that that scene in American Psycho, the movie, not not, not the book, but he's in the car and and this uh, his his fiance. Uh, Patrick Bateman's fiance is like, well, why don't you just do this or this? And he's like, he finally takes his head, headphones off. He looks over and he goes, because I want to fit in. Yeah. And that was the whole premise of, of, of the movie. We do psychotic things just to fit in. Mm. And so I saw this line of people. They wanted to be unique, just like everybody else in line. Yeah. But if they if they if they spent that time and attention and lots of money on these multi hundred dollar t shirts, yeah, then they would stand out to their friends and to people they don't know on social media, right? Yeah, it's the reason I don't want to wear logos. I avoid logos whenever I can. I I haven't yeah. cast them it's out a- altogether. Everything I wear has some sort of logo. Usually, it's on the tag inside, mm-hmm. but I don't want to advertise for a company, right? Isn't that crazy? Like we pay well not you and i but people will pay tons of money just to advertise for a company like gucci or prada Mm -hmm. it blows my mind like they're paying yes to wear this big logo to Mm -hmm. advertise yeah and love people use things the the phrase i came up with was consumerist equanimity Mm. like we want to be equal consumers right and so i'm signaling to you that i have good taste how do i show it not by who I am as a person, not by my behaviors or my actions, not by my understanding, not by um, what I create for the world, mm. but by what I consume. Wow. My consumption says something about me and the logos of the major multinational corporations mm. say this is who I am as a person. No wonder we're so miserable. Yeah. Because we're outsourcing our individuality to corporations. Whew. You can TikTok that, Danny. <laughs> um, what do we got here? Oh, number three, stay out of stores. Amen. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You and I, we used to manage a bunch of retail stores. Yes. And so, therefore, every day, I remember when um, you and I worked together in Dayton and you, you managed the store at Fairfield Commons and the one at the Green. Yeah. These are two malls in, in Dayton. Mm-hmm. One's an outdoor lifestyle mall. Yeah. One is an indoor traditional shopping mall. And you had to walk past all the so-called trendy stores or whatever in order to get to your store. Yeah. Right? And it's tempting. Because yeah, it is. as soon as you see that thing, oh, I didn't realize I needed that. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah, you see something on the mannequin. You're like, oh, that looks good on the mannequin. It'll probably look good on me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, especially the green. Cause like, that's the trendy. Yeah. The trendy, like you said, lifestyle mall. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like every once in a blue moon, I have to do something with my phone or laptop and I have to go to the Apple store. And that is at the Beverly center, which is iconic mall, right? Yeah. And going through that store, even as 
one of the minimalists. I still like kind of have to put blinders on. Otherwise I sit there and kind of get caught up on all these impulses. Um, yeah, it's, I wish I could say, and I say this a lot. I, I wish, uh, you know, you, you buy our books, you read it, uh, you watch your documentaries. You'll never have any of those impulses again. Mm. That's just not the case. I mean, you're going to have the impulses. The question is how do you deal with them when they come up and how do you avoid those impulses coming up or maybe avoidance is the wrong word, but, uh, how do you how do you see them for what they are? Yeah, and, and here's the thing: I think that because I used to agree with you on, on that that point, and I think I I'm closer to disagreeing with it now. Mm. But it's just it's more about I think there is a point where the impulses become so absurd when you're able to see how absurd they are. Sure, if you can actually see how absurd the impulse is, and by the way, you've gotten there in so many other areas. Mm-hmm. Think about impulses you had when you were 12 years old. Mm. And you see those now, and you're like, I don't want that anymore. Yeah. Well, why is that? It's You've outgrown the impulse, but the only way to outgrow an impulse is to really understand how absurd it is. Yeah, I've been having this thing uh, recently. I think I talked about it on stage at one of our tour stops. Um, because someone was asking about the they're asking about something but anyway i've i've noticed that like whenever life is really difficult and i start doing the the negative spiral of thoughts i laugh at it out loud like i literally and i i've I don't do it intentionally, but it's like I start to see how absurd those negative thoughts are, mm. and I laugh. And people are always like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Oh, it's just absurd." <laughs> like, every, and as soon as you can really see yeah. how absurd that impulse is, who injected that impulse into popular culture, mm. why that impulse is there in the first place, mm-hmm. I think it starts to dissipate. And that's what you mean by deal with it. I think yes, it, yeah, absolutely, it is, is seeing it for what it is. Mm. And as soon as we see that, oh, someone's trying to manipulate me, mm. then the impulse drops. Yeah. So stay out of stores, he says. I won't read the whole thing here, but obviously the staying out of stores helps you avoid the impulse. If you don't, if you don't put the you know, donuts in front of you, you're less tempted to eat a donut. Yeah. But if every day we came in here, Ryan, there was just a bunch of donuts on the table, yeah, I, I can still see them and see the absurdity of the donuts, but like, I'd rather just not have them here in front of me. Yeah. Number four is learn from past mistakes. It's hard to admit mistakes so you can... Be e- so it can be easy to make excuses why buying into unnecessary fad products was actually a good idea at the time. We rationalize away our reckless purchase by reminding ourselves that everyone was buying that same style of shirt or how every parent was trying to get their hands on Princess Unicorn for their daughter. It's easy to think we don't have a problem of overconsumption until we stare at a home full of possessions that need to be decluttered and removed. Mm. Then we feel guilt. Learn from your past mistakes instead. If you have fallen prey to fads in the past, clothing, toys, technology, etc., notice what motivation prompted that purchase and then work to overcome it so you can so you don't repeat your mistake in the future. Mm. So, yeah, the, I think that's back to what we were saying here. If you see the absurdity of it, it's not the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the truth is, the reason I bought it is because it was in style. No, no, no. The, it was, the reason I bought it is because it was in style, and it was in style because major corporations wanted it to be in style so I would part with my money. Yeah. And was this the best use of that money at the time? Or would I be more contented 
if I had that money to spend on something else today. Yeah. Number five, commit to owning and buying less. Well, I mean, obviously that's where minimalism comes in here, right? So uh, he mentions Project 333. Our friend Courtney Carver has the Project 333 experiment, uh, owning 33 items for three months. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's uh, project333.org. Number six is embrace a waiting period. I would just call this the wait for it rule. Yeah. The 3030 rule. We talk about this. Right. Yeah. And so the 30-30 rule is, hey, if something's more than 30 bucks, I wait 30 hours to buy it. Mm-hmm. Gives you a little bit of space in between. If it's more than 100 bucks, I try to wait 30 days to buy it. That's mm. embracing the waiting period. Mm. Number seven, be confident in your style. Fads and trends play on our insecurities. They subtly claim that our current lives are not enough. I think that's the key. Our current lives are enough. So any possession we bring into our lives, it's not about doing without the possession. Mm. It's about understanding that thing is going to enhance my life. It's not going to make me a better version of myself. It's not going to make me more complete. It's not going to make me enough. But if I show up complete, if I show up full, then those things around me will enhance my life. Yeah. If if I choose them carefully, not letting the corporations or the influencers choose them for me, but if I choose them because they're appropriate for my life at this stage of my life, then of course it's going to be, it's going to serve me better than if I say, Hey, what is trendy? What is fashionable? What is the thing that other people think I need? Yeah, man, it doesn't matter what brand you wear. Uh, it doesn't change who you are inside. Oof. Tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about number seven here. Well, he said, "Be confident with your style." I th- I really think that is, um, being confident with who you are, and your style meaning your preferences, right? Mm. Because here's the thing: let's say you like boot cut jeans and they're not in style right now. So what? Yeah. I mean, if James Dean was wearing a pair of boot cut jeans, he would make it look outstanding. Now, one is because he's really handsome, mm-hmm. but two is there was a particular confidence there, yeah. a nonchalance. I don't need to impress you. I'm already impressive. Mm, yeah, if you like Jenko jeans, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that might be back in six months anyway. <laughs> right. Number eight, rethink the value of money. Your money is only as valuable as what you choose to spend it on. Your dollars, after providing for your needs, can be spent on consumerist and selfish pursuits, or it can be used to help others and solve problems in the world. Yeah, I agree with this. Obviously, your money is an amplifier of your habits. If you have particular selfish habits, you'll become more selfish with money. If you're generous, you'll become more generous when you get money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number nine, choose your own life. Nobody gets to decide what life you live and the attitude you bring into the world. Nobody gets to decide what you spend your money on. Those are your choices. Just because the news, billboards, websites, social media, and magazines are telling you that everyone is now wearing X, buying Y, or watching Z, that doesn't mean you have to as well. There is only one person who decides what enters your life, you. Take that responsibility seriously. Fads will always come and go. One just ended, and another is just starting. But fads never provide long-term benefit to those who partake in them. Mm. Live differently. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, just like a magazine subscription will change your desires. Mm -hmm. I just remember, yeah, when I 
started really analyzing why I had the desires I had, I realized I'm like, oh, wow, like a lot of this stuff, I saw it in GQ magazine. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's been fascinating, Ryan. We've been doing these tour stops and I've asked people, hey, tell me about what, if you were to see a picture of a successful person, what does it look like? And people from the audience start shouting things out. Mm -hmm. Usually it's a man mm -hmm. wearing an expensive suit. Yep. There's always a watch involved. Right. Because successful people, they, I don't know, have antiquated timepieces, whatever. Like <laughs> They wear success on their wrists. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> what, what was the, the thing that you did a fake ad? It was, oh, um, what, uh, um, they say that you can't buy time. They say you can't buy more time. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ryan wearing a Rolex. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with Rolex. In fact, they're oh. great diving watches. Yes. I mean, that's how they started, right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem is when, it's that consumerist equanimity. I'm signaling to you that I'm a better person because I have this thing. Yeah. And so more people are shouting out, oh, they got a big house or they have a yacht, a yacht, fancy yeah. appliances, whatever it is. All of a sudden, a successful person just has all of this clutter, basically. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's expensive clutter. But yeah. it's clutter nonetheless. And many of these things, if you really had to deal with a yacht, you would really want the spontaneous combustion rule, right? Right. Because you're spending a million bucks a month or a, whatever, a quarter on maintaining this yacht. Yeah. Blow this thing up immediately. Whew, Get yeah. rid of it. Yeah. I don't want a boat. I just want to know someone with a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the lesson from that is having access to a thing mm -hmm. is often far more valuable than owning the thing because owning the thing means it has to become a burden to you. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. All right, what else do we want to talk about? Before we get into these questions, Ryan, we've been talking about the spontaneous combustion rule, and I thought we'd go a bit deeper here because I think this rule applies to our routines. Quite often, we get stuck in a routine because it simply becomes routine. Yeah. Hey, we've been doing something so long, we've, we've formed this groove into our lives, and so I'm doing it today because I did it yesterday and I did it the day before. Yeah. I'm eating that way right? Mm. I'm behaving this way. Mm. I'm speaking this way. I'm browsing social media as soon as I get out of bed. That's my routine, right? If I just wake up, first thing I do is hop on Instagram before I even get out of bed. That is a routine. Yeah. And I look at the spontaneous combustion rules. Wow. Wouldn't I want to apply that to this? Wouldn't I want to say, all right, if Instagram were to spontaneously combust just first hour in the morning, would I feel better about that? Yeah. Would I feel better about my morning or would I want to replace it immediately? Do I actually get the value I think I'm getting from it? Or am I mistaking that instant dopamine hit with real value? Mm. Is this how I actually want to spend my most precious resource, my time and my attention first thing in the morning? Is this setting my day up for success? Is this setting my day up for contentment? Or am I bringing chaos in first thing in the morning? Yeah. And so I think the, the rule certainly applies to our routines and to our habits there, but then also our identities. You know, when someone, when you meet someone, the first question they ask, you ask quite often is what? Oh yeah, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. And then we have a fancy answer for that because it's like, well, whatever my business card says, right? And it's much harder for me and you now because it's like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> no, I have no idea. I don't know. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will often look at someone now and I say, I say, that's a very expansive question. Yeah. <laughs> and 
And really what we're saying is and it's, there's no malice behind that question, mm. but people quite often ask that question because they need a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. And I think the unfortunate thing about that is we often rattle off the title on our business card. And so back in the corporate world, I had an impressive job title. Oh, I'm the director of operations for 150 retail stores. Yeah. And that's what I do to earn a paycheck. And that's really what we mean. But then accidentally we start comparing ourselves. Oh, here's what I do to earn a living. What do you do, do to earn a living so I can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder? We're not talking about what am I passionate about. Yeah. And eventually you and I had to spontaneously combust our careers. Yeah. We blew them up because they had become so ingrained, interwoven with our identity. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Uh, a, a friend of mine came out to our Denver event and he was like, you know, it's funny, like, you know, I've always been wondered what you what you do. And he's like, that event was awesome, but I still don't know how to describe what you do. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, talking about, um, yeah, in our corporate days, and I think there are even questions. There was a question in the minimal episode earlier in the week about, I feel like I need to blow everything up to start over. Right. And sometimes, sometimes maybe you do, mm-hmm. but I would posit that more often than not, you could usually heal a situation, change a situation rather than like blow your whole life up and start something else. That's right. And so... And love people use things. There's a story about this tragic dumpster fire that happens to this whole family, and mm. their their whole house burns down. And it's spoiler alert. I mean, you already heard it because we did the the Salt Lake event on mm-hmm. here. But yeah, it's uh, it's so tragic because, um, but here's the thing: it wasn't tr- it wasn't as tragic for them because they had been simplifying. Mm. And had this happened six months earlier, and it would have blown up and been forced upon them. I think it would have ruined their marriage and they mm. probably would be living in separate houses right now. And, yeah. and, and yet it actually allowed them to come together because everything did. Now, it, it's not required to blow everything up. And that's why the spontaneous combustion rule is a little bit different because it's, it's targeted combustion. It's not blowing up your whole life or even a whole relationship right. or your whole identity. Now, it can be that. In fact, I would argue that yeah, I blew up my whole... I spontaneously combusted my whole identity. I had yeah. to, though, for for me to get away because I had so much self-worth tied up into my job. Mm-hmm. That's who I was as a person that I was afraid of actually being me. I yeah. was afraid of me. Do you think you would have done... Like, if you could go back, would you have done it any differently? Like, as far as blowing yourself up, laying yourself off? I mean, is there anything you would have approached differently? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think... Any regret I, I have about the past is almost always I didn't do it sooner. Mm, yeah. Because there's a fear there. Sure. And it's I get it. Look before you leap, right? Yeah. But then they also say, he who hesitates is lost. Mm. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Which advice am I getting? <laughs> do I do both? Because like, if I look before I leap, that means I'm hesitating. Right. And so... Yes, I, I would have hesitated for a shorter period of time because mm. it's terrifying no matter what. But eventually it got so terrifying for me that actually it was more terrifying to stay because I'm going to be... I've ter- already turned into the person I don't want to be. Yeah, I'm unhealthy. I'm stressed out. Psychologically, this isn't working. I'm, I feel miserable. The chaos is all around me. I'm steeped in low-grade misery. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I I um, I just disliked it, and and I didn't want to be that me anymore. It wasn't me; it was a veneer of me. And so, 
spontaneously combusting the corporate career and walking away was necessary. I, what I've done, of course, there's so many things I would have done differently. I would have never gotten into all that debt, six figures worth of debt. Right. Yeah. I, I would have avoided climbing the corporate ladder just for the sake of climbing the corporate ladder. There mm-hmm. were some jobs that I took where I'm like, oh, I'd be, I don't want to take this, but I'd be dumb not to. Yeah. I, if I don't take this, I'll commit career suicide. Yes. Yeah. The irony of that is that then I ended up just committing career suicide on my own, <laughs> right. intentionally. Yeah, and, and so, yes, you and I spontaneously combusted our careers, mm-hmm. but we did so because we asked that question, not directly because we didn't have the spontaneous combustion rule at the time, but functionally asked that question, hey, if this career were to go away today, would I replace it? Meaning, would I go work for another telecom company doing the same thing? Would I follow the same path? Mm-hmm. Or would I feel relief? Yeah. And of course, the relief was overwhelming. Yeah. Man, I feel like we should do a podcast on low grade misery because that is, I think that's the, uh, I don't know, that's the complacency is the killer of invention. It's the killer of progress. Yes. Um, and complacency isn't necessarily, it's not good or bad. It just is. But most of the time, there's a low grade misery that's involved with it. Who's the, the, uh, the culture that would burn the boats or the captain that would like, they go to the island and then they burn their boats. The Vikings, right? Yeah, the Vikings. Yeah, like they had no choice but to Or no, I think it was the Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was like this. They knew that low-grade misery was going to lead to failure. Mm-hmm. But if you had enough misery, you had no choice but to survive. You fully commit, right? Yeah. And so you sometimes have to make yourself really miserable. In fact, that's the problem. The low-grade misery that you're talking about here, Ryan, mm-hmm. is my life was like a... A five out of ten most days. Right. You know, it's like, hey, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we, the problem is we don't want to go backward. And for a while, when paying yeah. off the debt, I had to get real uncomfortable. I had to go to a, ne- to a, to a two or sometimes even like a negative two yeah. where there is actual pain there. Not physical pain, but like psychological pain, mental pain, emotional pain yeah. that we have to we, we have to sit with for a while. Not deal with. We have to sit with it and say, okay. This pain is a sign that something needs to change. But when we don't have enough pain, mm-hmm. when life is just a five all the time, it's, yeah. It's why when, when people often say, hey, how are you doing today? What's the number one answer? Uh, fine. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. yeah. We had a, a buddy who even made a film called that. Yeah. I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine, thanks, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the, the way that we, we respond because it is, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the it, that's the equivalent. Of, we be, I was the personification of. Eh. Yeah, like I don't today. I don't uh, hate my life any worse than I did yesterday. <laughs> that's the honest answer yeah, behind it. Right. But here's the thing: if you answer that way, then you start to actually feel some pain. Right. And so instead, we say, "I'm fine, thanks," mm-hmm. because mm. the truth is, I am fine. But like, I'm not thriving. Mm. I'm not outstanding. I'm just, I'm fine. And so that low-grade misery is a particular, comfort is a low-grade misery. Yeah. We bubble wrap our worlds, and it's comfortable. But that is not the place from which we grow. It's certainly not the place from which we thrive. We're busy surviving with this low-grade misery. Yeah. Mm. So, Ryan, I want to talk to you about the three types of relationships. We touched on this on the minimal episode this week uh, for the public, but here on the private podcast, I thought we would go a little bit deeper because I think, and we talk about this in Love People Use Things, but 
they're the primary relationships. Those are like the five people closest to you usually. There's that old saying, you are a culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And so our primary relationships are those five people. The joke mm-hmm. I make in, in Salt Lake City is it's 10 if you're Mormon. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Because um, yeah, they have a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they uh, uh, and then we have the secondary group. So, so the, the first group, the primary relationships, if I look at it, it's like if your life was a movie. Yeah. It's like the main cast, you know? This is the, the main people in your film. It could be one person. It could be five people, somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I, because I'm an extreme introvert, it's like it's you and Bex and Ella. And those are like the, that's the, the primary relationships in, in yeah. my life. And then we have these secondary relationships. These are the supporting cast. These are important people. It's not to denigrate them to say they're, they're supporting roles in your life, but you're mm-hmm. people, they're people you love, you care about, right? Yeah. And you really enjoy spending time with them. They help you grow. You help them grow. There's a symbiosis there mm. between them. And then you have the tertiary relationships. Those are the people that are those for the extras in your movie of life. They yeah. have some sort of role. They have some speaking lines, etc. <laughs> yeah. And and by the way, this also means you're an extra in their li- in their movie of mm-hmm. life as well, mm-hmm. right? And the problem is, quite often we have the extras in our main roles, and and, and even in our supporting cast. And sometimes what happens as a TV show goes along, for example, sometimes the main characters or the supporting characters they become extras or they're even off the show altogether in time yeah you can still enjoy the show mm-hmm. even though oh yeah what happened to that character mm. and sometimes they may ebb in and out but the problem that we often run into is we've misprioritized our relationships yeah I think you and I did this especially in our 20s. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially working for the corporation uh, that we worked for because in order to climb the ladder, like not only did you have to be good at your job, but you had to be sociable. Like you had to hang out with other people, other people at work. And yeah, when I look back at those days, I mean, a lot of my evenings were spent at happy hour networking and uh, different, you know, holiday company parties or whatever it was. And yeah, because I was so worried about the status, the job, the promotion, the salary, I ignored the people closest to me. Mm. You know, it's funny. I think about those three levels of relationships, and I probably have less than five primary relationships. That's right. But that's secondary. I have like a ton of people (laughs) in that secondary tier, which is great. And Um, that's why I wanted to talk about this with you, because mm. I think you and I have very similar sort of interiors, the, the, the primary tier. As an extrovert, you have far more people in your secondary tier. Yeah. And then I have a a lot more people in the the sort of peripheral tier. Mm. I have close friends who I see once or twice a year. Sure. And I would probably say they're on the periphery, even though we have meaningful relationships. And I think that's where people can get confused is, oh, because they are on the periphery doesn't mean that it's not a meaningful relationship. It means it is meaningful because we together have determined our role in each other's life. Yeah. Oh, I love those friends. But like I got friends, international friends who I see, yeah, only once a year, once every two years, the pandemic once every three years. Right. Um, but man, like when I, when I do see those people, it's like, we just saw each other yesterday. Yes. Um, so yeah. So it, it's even with the tertiary relationships, yes, they can still be extra meaningful, 
Um, so yeah, so that, I mean, it's just more evidence to choose your relationships wisely right? and the people that you spend uh, time around. But and, yeah, on that secondary, especially living in LA, there's just so many awesome people in LA. Right. Or it's, people come through LA. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's very difficult to have super close relationships with everyone. Right. Um, but yeah, there are because of yeah LA and the amount of awesome people. And there are even people on the tertiary that I wish I could even make secondary, but it just doesn't happen. But you know, that's kind of, uh, um, I deal with that. Like when someone moves away, you know, on my secondary tier, then I can bring someone in from the, the tertiary tier. I mean, I don't like write this out on paper and, you know, formulate it, but just it's how it works out. Yeah. I've done it before. In fact, we have an exercise in our first book, minimalism, live a meaningful life where it really, because it's identifying some of these are toxic relationships. Mm. And one of the questions I asked, so here's where the spontaneous combustion rule applies. Would I start this relationship again today? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then I have a couple follow-up questions. One is maybe I just need to reprioritize it. Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of spending an hour a day with this person, I need to spend an hour a month with this person. And I set up some sort of boundary there that allows that relationship to heal and eventually flourish. However, the answer may be no. This is a toxic relationship. I wouldn't bring this back into my life at all in any tier. And if that's the case, well, that is a surefire sign that I need to let go of that relationship. I need to walk away. Now, letting go is not something you do. You stop clinging to the relationship. Mm. You stop forcing it to work, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not working anyway. Mm. It's making you miserable. If it is making you miserable consistently, well, then I need to reprioritize it or I need to walk away altogether. Yeah. We got some surprise questions here. Emma, you ready? How about we, uh, we talk about Alex's question? I'm taking notes for this one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How do I make my boss spontaneously combust? Well, well thankfully you don't have a boss. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I understand this, um, this sentiment. Ryan and I had a, um, a tyrannical boss. We'll call him Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, man, he brought a lot of misery to our lives yeah he had certain expectations of us that were never we weren't able to meet because it was a sliding expectation scale so as soon as you met the expectation it was never enough or if it was enough it was enough for a moment mm-hmm. and you may if you're lucky get a pat on the back but really the reward was to stop being yelled at he in fact the very first meeting i was in with him I was on the phone and it was me and the other regional managers and he called us cocksuckers on the very first meeting. Mm. And I'm like, oh, this is setting a tone here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what I recognized is, I mean, it caused me such anguish. And this is why I really identify with Alex's question here. It caused me so much mental stress my anxiety was through the roof because of him, mm. because of his expectations, but also realizing, oh, I'm, I didn't realize it at the time. I realized it in retrospect only. I was making myself upset. Yeah. Would it have been possible for me to, A, walk away sooner? Yes, for sure. Yeah. But also, I could have just put my foot down and said, hey, no, I'm not going to tolerate this. Mm. Because here's the lesson to get from this. You get what you tolerate. Yeah. 
And so how do you make your, your ball spontaneously combust? Well, you ask that question. If my balls were to spontaneously combust today, would I replace him with hit with the exact same version of him? Or would I feel relief? And if the answer is I would feel relief, you got to walk away. Yeah. I mean, that's difficult, especially like if you got a high salary and I'm just trying to have some like sympathy here for, you know, someone who is providing for their family and they're relying on the salary. So yeah, walk away. Um, but yeah, it, it's not walk away and start a podcast, walk away and start a blog. I mean, it could but be that, but it it's, it's having some sort of plan to, yeah. to replace the salary, but you're never going to, to get that if it's just constantly wondering. I love how uh, you brought up the, the, the tolerance because now I want to go back in time. And the first time he yelled at me, I just want to be like, dude, in what world do you think it's okay to talk to me like that? Like we have an employee... Employee, uh, employee, uh, employer relationship. Right. I'm not your whip. I'm not your whipping boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would have changed the mm. dynamic and he would have probably tried to find a way to, you know, demote or whatever. But like we were so good at what we did, mm-hmm. it would have been nearly impossible for him to do that without making up lies or something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, I, I think the, the thing to recognize here is quite often we are miserable Mm-hmm. because we tolerate the things that are making us miserable. Yeah, so it's not really, yeah, it's not your boss. It's it's you who was putting up with it. And when I hear this question, you know, you get asked the same question about like, how do I make my mother spontaneously combust? Yes. And in that situation, it's very easy to see like, oh, I have to like love that person from a distance, you know, if the relationship can't be healed. Um, but it's the same thing with your boss. It's like, you know, maybe uh, you don't have to leave your job, but how can you create some distance between you and your boss while setting the expectation of uh, not being treated like like garbage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there might be some boundaries that come in mm-hmm. as you walk away because walking away isn't blowing it up necessarily. Mm-hmm. What's my contingency plan? Maybe I'm going to start putting out resumes and feelers and there is a huge hiring shortage all over the place. This is one of the best times ever to find many different uh, uh, positions throughout many different industries right now. Yeah. There's so many people recognizing that it's not just about the money anymore. Mm-hmm. Money is a part of the equation, right? Yeah. But there are people who want to do more meaningful work. They want to create something that they feel they have a sense of autonomy and mastery and freedom yeah. in doing. They're a part of something that has some sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're talking to Ken Coleman about yeah. his new book, uh, From Paycheck to Purpose, mm-hmm. because it's no longer just about the paycheck. Right. That's a piece of it, and let's not pretend it's not. Yeah. We work to earn money, Yes. but we don't work only to earn money. Yeah, I like how you put it uh, with you know being in a car. It's like we can't sit here and pretend that money isn't like a passenger in this vehicle. Right. But it's certainly not in the driver's seat. Yeah. Don't let money behind the wheel. Cause it's going to steer you into all kinds of places you don't want to go. Yeah. We have a question here from Maria. I would like for Facebook to spontaneously combust. <laughs> I only use it for birthdays, but I'm afraid to close the account in case people I've met in different places want to get in touch with me. Although I haven't missed the people who I no longer keep in touch with, why is it so hard to let go? Mm. 
So Ryan let go of his Facebook. Yeah, man. I let go of it in a different way. I just never use it. Yeah. Uh, but I do have it because I occasionally will go on there and post something, maybe once a quarter. Yeah. Maybe it's about how to love or um, yeah, maybe it's some photos from something I did. But I never, I, but but I've never gotten on Facebook to browse Facebook ever. It's never been the place I go. Twitter is my is my place. Yeah, and so I can resonate with this. Also, Instagram. Instagram's so good at like burying its way into our psyche, and mm, yeah. and and TikTok. I'm sure is the same way. It, it's it doesn't. We went from here. Here I think is the biggest problem, and I don't know that Facebook falls into this necessarily. But here's where where we're going. Remember when when Facebook and Twitter you would follow or friend mm-hmm. the people that you wanted to receive updates from. And so that's why Twitter was so great for me because the it was asynchronous, right? Yeah. I could follow my favorite musicians with no expectation they were going to follow me because I was nobody. Right. And so, but I got to get their updates whenever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And now with places like TikTok and Instagram, you can follow whoever you want, but that's not who they're going to show you. They're going to aggregate your eyeballs onto the things that are most titillating to you oh yeah right yeah so it's like half naked pictures of people in bikinis and like all all of the and it's fine like i i don't have a problem with with that per se but the problem i have is i joined this for one reason and now with something like facebook it is the reason it's so stressful is it's become obligatory oh i can't unfriend that person because what will it say about me and our relationship? What will they think about me? And so I think Maria's problem is not, her problem is not that she is struggling with letting go of Facebook. She's struggling worrying about how other people perceive her if she lets go of Facebook. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's a, this question has a lot of like self-limiting beliefs. I only use it for birthdays. Okay, let's just start there. Is there something else you could use for birthdays? It's called a calendar. <laughs> I did that this week. In fact, I was asking everyone for their birthdays. I always confuse Podcast Sean and Other Sean because uh, uh, Podcast Sean's birthday is May 14th and uh, Other Sean's birthday is uh, February 12th. And so I just like, I was just updating my calendar, making sure yeah. I had everyone in there because I don't want to rely on some outside app for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid to close the account in case people I have met in different places want to get in touch with me. Okay. Well, Facebook isn't the only place for people to get in touch with you. That's right. I meet people in all kinds of different places, and they will always find a way to get in touch with me if they really want to get in touch with me. That's right. So if if you're relying on Facebook just for that, again, it's a self-limiting belief. There are plenty of other platforms to get to get a hold of you on you know what's fascinating about that ryan is mm-hmm. when we go out on tour for like a week i'll put the out of message out of office message on my email and it just says hey I, i'm not gonna have immediate access to email this week while we're on book tour if you need anything right away just text me but i don't leave my phone number in right. the email because if you have my phone number then you have my phone number right right but if you don't have my phone number then you're just got to wait to get a response because you have my email address obviously mm-hmm. you you will get a response eventually if if your message you know, requires or warrants some sort of response his phone number is 937-202-4654 <laughs> that's right you can text me there as well <laughs> oh man yeah i mean maria you got to let go of these self-limiting beliefs i mean these are reasons that you're talking yourself into holding on to something that is driving you crazy i mean well i'm speaking from my own perspective i just facebook was on its best day pacifying and on its worst day it would ruin my whole day 
And in what ways? Because oh, well, I think well, if you if you can illustrate that pain for some folks, yeah. now all of a sudden they, they might have the leverage they need to <sighs> let go. Like <clears throat> people, well, first off, it's a fake world. All the social medias are fake. And people get on there and they, uh, what do we call it? Um, it's it's outrage, but there's like it's in vogue outrage or it's fake outrage, recreational outrage. That's what it is. Yeah, recreational outrage, and the recreational outrage would make me get actually uh, outraged. Not that I would project that, but I start to get upset at like I don't know, man. Whether it's it's just, it's just a lot of the misinformation that goes on, and then people spreading misinformation. We know this is like a problem. Mm-hmm. And the best thing for me was to remove myself from it because you can't police Facebook. I mean, you know, I I can only imagine, and that's kind of a piece of it too, is I can't respond to every single piece of outrage or every single piece of misinformation. Be like, oh, this isn't right. Maybe you want to read here. It's like whack-a-mole. Right, exactly. So, and, And then the problem is that uh, because I know that I can't police it. Well, then I end up doing nothing, which is even worse mm. because now I've got all of this, all of these negative feelings and I can't do anything about it because I know that I'm just going to be playing whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the best thing for me to do was to get rid of it. And if honestly, if Twitter made me feel that way or if Instagram made me feel that way or whatever, I would get rid of it too. Right. Um, and there are other ways to manage that as well. So yeah. getting it off your phone is obviously the, the first step. Yeah. I mean, just getting off Facebook altogether, if you want to do that, that's fine. I have other friends who they simply uh, just unfriend everyone so they can still have access to a Facebook account if they want to join some sort of group or something, mm. like minimalist.org, for yeah. example. Yeah. And so they just don't have any friends on Facebook because yeah. their friends are in real life. Yeah. It reminds me of the, you saw the, the new Dave Chappelle special recently. Oh, yeah, the closer. Yeah, and, and yeah. the the woman who follows him to his car and, and he's and he's like yeah leave it in the comment sections right because he's like because that's not real life right exactly you know? yeah he's like I, he's like, i heard i got dragged on twitter i don't care about that because uh twitter's not real life right and so true and the, the problem is though it's real life for some people his friend mm. killed themselves because she got a lot of outrage mm from a backlash from something that she was communicated on Twitter. Oh dude, this cyberbullying is a very real thing. Yeah. It's yeah, it's funny cuz it's not real. Like I could when someone comes at me and tries to bully me on a social media platform, I just I, yeah, I don't take it serious. Yeah. I don't take it seriously. It's like I can separate, but a lot of people can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't know that I've ever had a legitimate death threat. I've had a couple, and it's been years. Tertiary but, death threats? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like, you know. I hope, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I hope someone eats your daughter or right, sort of whatever, thing. Yeah, because yeah, we had a, a person who wasn't a vegan on the podcast, and some vegan was very mad about that and, <laughs> and said that, well, I hope someone eats your daughter, then you'll understand. And, yeah. and it's like, well, I don't really think that's a death threat, but my God. like, yeah. and, and so They would never say that to your face. And but they might because I mean you you don't know about the mental health of some of these people, right? Yeah, that's and, true. And so yeah. here's the thing: I actually really respect artistic trolls. I think there are some trolls who who are savants, yeah. right? And yeah. and sort of professional trolls. Sure. Um, that that to me they're even better than like critics. So you know, there are some podcasters who critique. Oh, I and mean, by the way, at most of these news shows they critique the president or whoever and we we don't like say oh they would never say that to the president Mm -hmm. but then like when they critique a podcast we're like well how dare they and so i'm not i'm not against the the critiquing Mm -hmm. um i'm 
what I'm against is me reacting to it. I, I, it's not for me. Mm. And so I can understand someone else's point of view, but also recognize that their point of view is not for me. I saw this thread of, uh, it was like an MMA fighter, and someone had tweeted at him like, you know, you suck so bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, like talking all this smack. And <laughs> the MMA fighter was like, uh, you probably wouldn't say that to my face, would you? And he's like, no, that's why I said it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And then he just responded, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Or here's the other thing. Yeah, I probably would say it to your face. What are you going to do? Beat me up? Right, yeah. Uh, Look at me. I mean, what are you going to do? Oh, you're an professional MMA fighter. You're going to beat the hell out of me because I said some words to you? That actually says even more about that that person, right? Sure, yeah. Like, let's not... Uh, let's not confuse it for real life. And let's also not confuse words for violence, right? Mm. It's not the same thing, I assure you. As someone who was punched relatively recently, <laughs> <laughs> I much rather what he has said something about me mm. than, uh, yeah, me have to yeah, hit him and then run away yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a question here from Marty. How about relationships with family? I'm an only child with no family other than my aging parents within 1,000 miles. I feel obligated to ensure my elderly parents' basic needs are met, but limit interaction is there's often friction due to different political and religious perspectives. Any thoughts on how to find a healthy balance in family relationships without the relationships having to spontaneously combust? (laughs) They want to know how to have their cake and eat it too, it sounds like. Yeah, my my wife has this with her family. It's fascinating because they they get caught into a particular worldview, which mm-hmm. the irony is Beck shares like 90% of that worldview, but it's not enough for someone who's extremely prescriptive. Sure. It's all or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, if I believe one thing politically and you're not 100, if you're only 90% aligned, mm-hmm. that means you're 10% against me. Mm-hmm. And that's an affront on my beliefs, right? And so um, what she has had to do is distance herself from those conversations, not from her family, but from those conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple, not as easy, it's as simple as two words. I understand. Oh, I can't believe what Joe Biden is doing. Yep, I understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw uh, our friend, Dr. John Deloney. Mm. He posted a text conversation he had with a friend recently. See if we can find this. It's on his uh, YouTube channel on the community tab. But uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm, I'm not going to do it justice. But he, he, he basically, this, this person said, hey, so how do you like interact with someone who constantly feels the need to be right and, and like their point of view is always right? And, and John was like, well, I just don't really have time for that. So I just agree with them and tell them they're right. Mm. And, his, and his friend responds back. He goes, but that's irrational. I don't know why you'd have to like do that all the time. Like it would drive me crazy if I always had to say someone else was right. You can't do that all the time. And John responds with, "You're right." <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and and because here's the thing, that's what people are looking for. I just want to be heard. And yeah. so I'm not going to say you're right because I think that opens up a whole other can of worms about honesty and other things. Sure. But if I can say I understand, mm-hmm. or as you say. Yeah. In, in a kind, compassionate way. Like, hey, I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I understand. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I'm not going to f- throw fuel onto the fire, though, yeah. because it's not 
something I'm interested in participating in. Mm. And so if you, f- if you find yourself interested in participating in the discussion or debate or whatever, wonderful. Great. Go for it. Yeah. But if it's something that you value as your peace, mm-hmm. then you can extract yourself from the conversation by saying, I understand. If they keep saying, hey, but yeah, but don't you agree or disagree or whatever? Yeah, it's not really a conversation I'm interested in having. Yeah. And that's uh, not an easy thing to say, but it's very effective. I mean, I have family members who, yeah, send me conspiracy theories or whatever. And I used to like dig into them and be like, okay, I understand what you're saying and I see, you know, X, Y, and Z, but, you know, consider these experts they have that they're, that they're quoting Yes, and, you know, check out A, B, and C. And I thought I was like diffusing, but really I was just encouraging them to send me more crazy conspiracy theories because they didn't want to do the work to unpack them themselves. Right. What do you think about this one? What do you think about this one? And eventually I got to a point where I'm like, Hey, um, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You ever seen like video of like two rams ramming into each other? Mm-hmm. It's like we're doing that, but with our own self-righteousness, yeah, right? Yeah. And we don't realize it because I'm not self-righteous. They're the one being self-righteous. And my point of view just happens to be right. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. My point of view, self, is right, righteous. Mm. Oh, okay. So, yes, the reason that you start participating in all of this, Marty, is because you feel the need to be self-righteous. Mm. And that's been something that's been beaten into you since you were born by your culture, is it's so important to be right. The problem with that is in order for you to be right, someone else has to be wrong. Mm. Even if you're within an echo chamber and everyone else around you agrees with you, Mm. it's because they're disagreeing with some hypothetical person outside of your echo chamber. Dude, we were at a, I was at a funeral of a family members a couple, two, three years back. And uh, we were all, in like the the grieving line essentially. Yeah. And my dad is standing next to me. And every single person that came up, he was like just and he thought he was doing good, but he was like projecting this like these these Jehovah's Witness teachings at every single person in line. Mm. And um yeah, I just had I just looked I'm like dad, like I get what you're trying to do, but you're actually like ruining this grieving line by projecting your beliefs and your point of views that for all intents and purposes, let's say they are correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're challenging people in this line for no reason. And it yeah. comes from this self-righteousness. It comes from this. Um, yeah. It just comes from self-righteousness. It's an inappropriate time to yeah. do it too. Right. right. Yeah. Like imagine if instead of what he was doing he, with every person, he just said, Oh, by the way, uh, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. <laughs> And, right. it, and you're like, okay, that might be right. I don't know if it's right, but right. like, it might be right. Yeah. But it's, it's now's not the time for that, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, it's funny because, like, the best of intentions uh, sometimes, you know, create this self righteousness. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Self righteousness, I think, again, it does come from good intentions, but that doesn't make it right. No. <laughs> yeah. No. The road to hell. Yeah. Jenna has a question for us. How do I stop searching for the thing? It's like your black shirts. I want to find my black shirts for all things, but the time spent searching is a huge time consumer and overwhelming to my already busy life. When I do find an item I like, I feel inclined to purchase multiples so I can save time and energy in the future. 
nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. here's the thing. You're telling yourself there's something wrong with it because now if you're over-consuming, but we have a rule in the minimalist rule book, the just for win rule. Mm-hmm. You do not buy your toilet paper one square at a time. You right. buy multiples. Now, you buy what is appropriate. That might mean a pack of four mm-hmm. toilet paper. If you have space for 12 pe- uh, rolls of toilet paper, then then you do that. But also the question then is like, what is the most appropriate? Maybe I want the eco-friendly one, or maybe I really value the softness of Charmin or whatever. Mm. Whatever, you're, you're then buying what is appropriate for you. You've made the decision so you don't have to keep making the decision and going through decision fatigue. And so the reason I mentioned the black shirts earlier because I knew this question would would come up, but my black shirts even changed over time. The brand I used to wear, Save Khaki, Mm -hmm. I still like, but their materials have changed slightly and i just last time i went to replace my shirts with them i was like oh i don't like this as much as as the way it used to feel yeah now it could be they upgraded to some new trendy you know make it look trendy in a way but i just didn't like the way that it fit me and so your preferences might change over time jenna and so uh yes the black shirts when i as soon as i find something then it's mine for a while i don't need it to be trendy i don't need it to be um appreciably different and it's not about the constant search minimalism what it helps us do minimalism helps us find the thing make the decision on it intentionally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as soon as we make that deliberate decision we don't have to keep making that decision over and over and over because we found the thing that's not going to complete us, but it's going to add value to our lives. And as long as I need that thing in my life, then I can have it. If I stop getting value from it, I can let it go. Yeah. I mean, I would offer a different perspective on the black shirts. Like the 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 brand of shirt that I have now, it is, you know, it fits my preferences the most, but it's just one of many brands out there that will fit my preferences. It just so happens I found this one. And if that company spontaneously combusted, I wouldn't be like, oh, no, I'll never find another perfect black T-shirt. Like, I know there's something else out there to replace it. So I would offer that. And instead of looking at the black shirt as you guys have found the perfect black shirts for yourself. It's like, okay, maybe, but it's just one of the many perfect solutions for our black t-shirts and that that's a really important point there is no the thing right as i just mentioned the brand i used to use before is no longer the thing for me because they made some sort of change yeah and at first i did feel the twinge of oh no but it was more like oh no now i have to figure out where else to get a shirt from right Mm -hmm. and and so trying it out until you find that thing that's how you make an intentional decision You might try this. Oh, that doesn't work. You might try that. That doesn't work. You try something else. That doesn't work. But as soon as you make the decision, Mm. now you can stop making the decision going forward for as long as it continues to add value to your life. Imagine if we had this attitude, if we had Jenna's attitude with our our partners. I mean, Uh, there are, what, 7 billion people in the world? Almost eight now, yeah. Okay, so they're, they're, and like 50% of them are women? Yes. So we're talking 4 billion people? Mm -hmm. It's like, if I found Mariah, and I'm like, okay, she's like, great, you know, we we get along, uh, everything's wonderful, but there are still another, you know, rounding up, uh, still another 4 billion women I have to go and, 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 you know, sort through. (laughs) Um, Ryan tried that throughout his 20s. <laughs> he made it to about 1 billion. 
<laughs> rounding up to the nearest billion. <laughs> yes. But I mean, the 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 thing is, is like you when you come across something that fits your life, great. Yes. Take it. And minimalism, I think, helps you appreciate that thing that fits into your life. That's right. Without trying to um, have every single option because you will get decision fatigue and you'll end up where Jenna is where like you'd never feel content because you're always thinking something else is out there, but something out there is, is better. Here's the thing. Nothing is perfect. You're never going to find the perfect thing, period. These black t-shirts aren't perfect. They're right. just, they're, they're the best for the options that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's always going to be something out there that is just as good or maybe even better. So there's, there's like a whole like, the fear of missing out thing that's happening too with this where, yeah, you're missing out on a lot of things. Yeah. You can either uh, accept that or you could beat yourself up over it. But yeah, I th- again, I think minimalism helps you accept. It helps you identify what is enough. Yeah. And it's not through the more. It's not through getting the right t-shirt, getting the right couch, whatever. It's like, okay, eventually I'm going to need a couch because of these reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't need need it. It's a non-essential item, right? Mm-hmm. But it adds value. And so, yes, I want a couch. And so I'm going to spend more time up front finding the couch. So as soon as I have that couch, now I'm not worrying about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I know what is enough for me. Now, recognizing that sometimes enough once you figure out what enough is for you as an adult, it does change slightly, especially if your family expands or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's still within the same ballpark. So your enough, enough might expand a little bit and contract for certain seasons of life, but identifying what is enough is where you start because otherwise, if you don't know what enough is, what are you going to look for? You're going to keep looking for the thing. Mm. You're going to look for the thing because you don't realize that you already have more than enough. And the way you get to enough isn't through acquiring the thing. It's letting go of many of the things that are in the way. Yeah. Enough isn't enough until you decide it's enough. Amen. (laughs) What a good spot to end. Patrons, thank you so much for your support. Yeah. We're grateful. I know Danny and Mallory and Emma and Sean and Jordan and Jessica are also grateful as well. Mm. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, and by the way, we're doing so much more on Patreon coming soon. You probably saw the polls and the emails that we're sending out, but we're going to start a live stream version of this podcast real soon. We'll be able to interact with you. The And by the way, this is going to be out there. We usually record on Thursdays. So when I say weekly live stream, it won't be every week. It may it'd be average one a week because we do a podcast every week, mm-hmm. right? We may do two in a week. We may experiment with some different times. I know that our morning time makes it evening over in the UK and Europe as well, which will be nice for folks so they have an opportunity. I don't know how the New Zealand stuff will work out yet, but we'll <laughs> figure that out. Um, but this will be an opportunity to interact with us as we're recording this podcast live. We can turn to you, patrons, and ask you, uh, hey, what, what's your input on the spontaneous combustion rule? We can even have Emma or Mallory or Danny. They can pull up the comments and sort of sort through them as as they're going through. Jordan will be live streaming the whole thing, and and we'll take breaks in the middle of it and, and, and just break away for Patreon-only discussions as well. But then also um, doing more of the house tours, the room tours, the studio tour, which we want to do really soon. We're going to record part four here in the coming days. So that will probably be out by the time this episode comes out or pretty close. Part four of the studio tour. We're getting so close. In fact, Ryan, I just got news this morning from uh, the new desk manufacturer. So it's supposed to deliver, well, it's supposed to reach customs 
by October 26th. Oh, wow. So by the time this will be out, maybe, maybe we'll have a new desk here. The beautiful new podcast desk. We finally found the desk. We got it. And now we don't have to worry <laughs> about it ever again. That's right. Well, until we worry about it again. Right. Uh, and then other things coming with Patreon as well. Thank you so much for supporting us. It keeps the podcast 100% advertisement free. Yeah. It pays for everyone, including the studio space that we're here in as well. You're making the podcast beautiful. Thank you so much, patrons. Love people. Use things. Thank you, patrons. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it